Hello and welcome to I'm a Fan of That, a podcast about all things fandom told through objects, stories, and studies with a bit of silliness along the way. Your hosts on this journey are pop culture writer, journalist, and cosplay expert Holly Swinyard and myself, Viviana Simos, a public anthropologist and pop culture academic with a PhD in religion and popular culture. Join us as we wander down the incredible and intriguing path into fan culture, its history, the people who make it up, and the way that we look at this ever-growing part of our society. Fair warning, we may talk about some adult themes, use some adult language, and possibly get a little bit nerdy about the whole thing. You have been warned. Hello! And welcome to I'm a fan of that. I don't know what that voice was. Where we talk about the wonderfully complicated world of fandoms through the objects we love. I can't stop laughing now. Vivian set me off laughing at the beginning of this recording. And I can't do the introduction properly anymore. But that's fine. (laughs) I'm not even going to do it again. I'm just going to leave it at that. I have an imaginary object this week because I couldn't find it in my house. (laughs) I don't know where it's gone. Um, So we're just going to imagine... And considering you can't see it anyway, listener, humans out there in the audioverse. Yeah, they wouldn't have even known. <laughs> I know. I could have lied. Well, I'm just being too honest. Um, but the object this week is an arc reactor, which I do have somewhere, I promise. Um, because I really want to talk about the Marvel Cinematic Universe and its everything to do with its history and Disney and capitalism. Oh, horrifying. Oh, Ollie's going to go on a rant. No... Um, I have to say I have for a long time I've loved superhero movies I've kind of fallen out of love with them a little bit recently I think a lot of people have I think there's a sort of formulaic thing happening but every so often there's one that makes me go that was good I enjoyed this one you know Um, I really enjoyed uh, Werewolf by Night that was great the the one they did for Halloween it was all done in the style of B-movie like old school B-movie horrors or black and white and film done like proper film not digital it it was really fun it was very enjoyable and it had proper sort of 1970s 80s style werewolf prosthetic suit at one point which i really enjoyed uh so i've enjoyed every so often when marvel have done things like that um and i enjoyed the birds of prey movie i don't know if you watched that one I did not. I'm not uh, a I'm not a superhero person. That's fair enough. I can see why there's like there's an element of fandom and nerddom that absolutely loves superheroes and then a big contingent that is less interested and, and less you know, I get it because yeah. they there is a sort of cu- cookie cutter cardboard element to them which can be very, very fun and can be fun when you then play around with it and do something different. Or it can just be a bit like Ah, another superhero. Yeah, I think so. For me, growing up, fantasy, like extreme high Tolkien-y fantasy, was like my my nerd world. Mm-hmm. Um, so superheroes, like in New York, just didn't really seem that appealing to me. <laughs> but I suppose that maybe the difference. I don't know. Obviously, I can't speak for American fans of superheroes. They have a different take on it. But for me, as like a small British person, was like, oh, 
America, it's so exciting. I, n- I now know that I was wrong, but, you know, at the time, it was like, oh, look, that's oh, fair. Let's bring it up. You know. I was introduced to it a bit late. I think there was already quite a few of the Marvel things were already starting to be pumped out mm. when I saw my first one, which okay. I was dating somebody at the time who was very into them. Which meant that I had to be very into them, even though I wasn't. And so it was kind of a forced effort of him trying to be like, but watch this one. Yeah. Yeah. And I can understand that why I might turn you off going forward as well. Uh, So, yeah. yeah. Like, for me, I grew up watching, like, the Batman cartoon and the X-Men cartoons and, and all that kind of stuff. I loved, absolutely loved them on, like, sort of Saturday morning, sitting down and watching them. Uh, I'm a big, I continue to this day to be a massive Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fan. I absolutely, because also not, I don't know how many people know this, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is a satire of Daredevil on purpose. Mm. And so like they, they took the sort of grim 90s, uh, late 80s style comic books and completely satirized them. And so the version that most people know from like the, the cartoon that they got in like the early 90s is not what the comics are. It's so funny to me that people are like, oh, it's bright and colorful. And I'm like, yeah, those comics where the only color that's used in them is red. And Raph is so angry, his only lines for quite a long time is just, grrr. You know, <laughs> like it's so a juxtaposition to see these two things. But both are good, both are fun, both are very silly and are turtles who are ninjas so i i did watch freakazoid as a kid when you said really? saturday morning cartoons oh. i did think of free- so that was probably <laughs> yeah. it's sad to say that growing up probably my only superhero fandom would have been freakazoid <laughs> i just thought a bad one to pick to be fair it's great and i like those ones as well because they're kind of satirical for kids right so yeah you knew enough about superheroes to know that that was satirical which is like what The Incredibles is, right? You know, yeah. the, the Incredibles is very, very funny because for any age group, you would know enough about the superhero genre for that to be entertaining. Um, but I think that comes from what we're going to talk about is the fact that, firstly, the comics have been around for a long time. They started in like the 1930s and there are superheroes before that as well who aren't Marvel or DC or are precursors of those companies, but the same teams. So, you know your uh what they called uh like blue beetle and those kind of characters the question who all became the characters we see in watchmen although they do exist still in the dc universe i realize this is very nerdy and there are going to be some people (laughs) going what are you talking about um it's okay i'll represent those people for today (laughs) i will back off on that particular piece of law but you know you have batman superman all that sort of stuff kicking and captain america it's all kicking around very early uh and then it just builds from there which is cool and we're not going to talk about the comics particularly because it's too much history and too much lore i want to talk about the movies because i think that is where what is interesting about the capitalist thing about it and why people are getting superhero burnout is happening is because of the films not necessarily because of the comics i don't know you said that the first film you saw the ones you saw were like after Marvel Studios had really kind of started making Yeah, them. so I'm, I'm trying to remember the time frame because I would have been late high school based off of who I was dating. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, which means that I was probably like 16 or 17, um, which means you, around the time you were 16 or 17. Yeah, so I'm not, my brain's now like, okay, we're probably looking at sort of like Iron Man 2. Yeah, it was still quite yeah. early in the Marvel 
kick off. I think it was right when yeah. they were starting to unveil the fact that they might be doing this bigger thing. Mm-hmm. And the very first one I was shown was Iron Man. Um, he was Which is big, the first one, yeah. Yes, he was yeah. a big fan of that Iron Man movie, so I was forced to watch it. And I thought it was okay, yeah. but I, I'm also not a big movie person, so then getting into combining the two things that I'm not <laughs> a big nerd on was not uh, like the right like, move. <laughs> but that's the reason why I chose the arc reactor, is because Iron Man, the first Iron Man film, is the first Marvel Studios movie, right? But there are Marvel movies before that, and there are a lot of them. Like, there's the X-Men films, uh, which somehow now tie into these other X-Men films that are happening with James McAvoy, and I don't... I lost the the thread of the timeline quite it's early on. alternate universe, I think? Or... Yeah. I'm... I don't know. And the Deadpool It's always an also... alternate universe. <laughs> yeah, like, this is... I... Yeah. But I abs- I'm going to say that X-Men 2 was one of my favourite films for a really long time. I absolutely loved it. It was the first, like, proper superhero movie I saw in the cinema, mm. and I think it made me having watched lots of superhero stuff as a kid on tv i was like whoa this is so cool and it actually brought me into reading the comics because i was like i want to read more about these characters they're awesome they're really fun um and superheroes kind of have that thing right they if you feel a little bit weird they're a little bit weird particularly the x-men like that's the entire point of the x-men right um is to talk about those sorts of narratives and yeah that film is great i think it still stands up i mean it's not I think if you watch it now, I haven't watched it in ages. I hope it still stands up, having said that. I haven't watched it since I was 16. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, like, those films were, like, they were very different because all we'd kind of had other than that was, like, the Blade films, which are very adult um, and vampire-y and kind of don't feel like superhero <laughs> movies in the same way. It's just Wesley Snipes running around killing vampires, which, if you're into Buffy, is great. You know, they're good films, but they don't feel like a superhero movie. At, or, like, your very early Superman films. And then, and then Spider-Man happens, and Tobey Maguire Spider-Man happens, and things kind of get a bit... People really like superhero movies, they're making money, and the whole reason that all of this is happening is because Marvel Comics were struggling so badly to make money off comics because people weren't reading them, video games were taking over and all that kind of stuff, people weren't super into just going and picking up a comic book in a newsagent anymore, um... And so they had to make money elsewhere. So they started selling off bits of the Marvel comics uh, for people as movie living, rights. <laughs> for people living in another country, a newsagent is uh, just like a small, yes, yeah, small like corner shop. Um, yes. So in America, we would have had like actual, you'd have to go to a comic book store to buy comic books, which is one reason why I never got into them. Yeah. The other reason that I never personally got into them is they're just so expensive for something are, that yeah. I could read in about two minutes. Yeah. That I didn't see the point in it. I also tried getting into manga. I had the same problem, but at least manga would last that tiny bit longer. It would last yeah. 10 minutes instead of two. Um, but yeah, I, I think it was definitely like a very niche type of nerd, at least growing up, that yeah. was the actual going to the comic book store and buying a comic book type Oh, of nerd. absolutely. Like, it just wasn't a thing. Yeah. Any, like particularly in like we're the same age so like that early 2000s period like people going and buying comics wasn't a thing i was probably the only one of my friends who was and i was going to like waterstones which is like barnes and noble yeah. or an equivalent it's a bookshop. big bookstore it's the big you know high street bookshop and buying the trade paperbacks which are the collected ones of like the whole story so instead of buying the single issues i would buy the big volumes to get the whole story that's fair and that more like a graphic novel right Mm. and i would be reading those which honestly i kind of feel like that's the where the money is if you're making comics but that's a whole other story so 
yeah, so basically around this period into the, the 90s and early 2000s, people aren't buying comics. It's just not happening unless they've been into comics or like a really long time or you're kind of a little kid who might want to buy one as a one-off because you've seen a cartoon on TV. That's sort of the two demographics, really, generalising. And if you're a company and you don't want to go bust, <laughs> what do you do? Well, there's all these Hollywood studios who are looking for ideas to make movies and they, the big blockbusters are doing really well. And so actually, if you want a big blockbuster movie, what's better than superheroes flying around New York City doing that? So you get Sony buying the X-Men and Spider-Man, yes. Or Fox? Fox buying the X-Men. And, and it kind of splits up until 2006 when Don Favreau of being in making all Star Wars ever now, apparently. <laughs> uh, just John Favreau on all Star Wars ever. Uh, goes, why don't we make an Iron Man movie? And we're as Marvel, not as any of these studios, but as Marvel making it themselves. And he casts somebody who has been relatively unknown in Hollywood for a long time because of, you know, Robert Downey Jr. had his own issues, but this was sort of his comeback. And this movie is like somehow a peak moment of, yeah, this is amazing, you know? We've just had the Christopher Nolan Batman movies, which are dark and dismal and very, very long. And like, oh my God, you can't, you have to like turn the brightness up on your screen to see what's going on kind of thing. And suddenly you get Iron Man, who's bright gold and shiny red and it's, fun and exciting and they really lean into the campiness of superheroes and the snarky remarks and you know fight scenes actually having dialogue through them so it's not just like action 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 uh, and it feels very kind of nostalgic really you get that kind of 1980s action movie vibe from them and it does really really well iron man does incredibly well N- nobody saw it coming nobody because iron man's a b-movie car- uh, like a b-list superhero really or at least he was at the time he wasn't Mm. really one of the main leads that people knew about he wasn't batman he wasn't superman i know they're dc but they were the names even like captain america people were kind of like eh about and thor marvel marvels weren't they weren't household names at the time at all um the dc ones were because dc had done really well with their cartoons and suddenly this movie does really you know it smashes everything. People weren't expecting it. And so Marvel go, oh, we could make another one. Let's make another one. And they do. And then they start building up this thing of like, let's bring in other characters. Let's start crossing things over because that's what happens in the comics. And nobody else was doing that. They were just standalones, right? And the characters that were in them were the ones that were in that franchise. They weren't thinking about crossing over with anything else. And I think really, realistically, that's what made the difference with Marvel Comics is the Marvel Studios even is that they leaned into what comic books are. They're stupid. (laughs) They make no sense. They massively cross over every story ever. And sometimes that works and sometimes that doesn't. They're really, really fun. And you actually give a crap about these characters. And I think that's it. And I actually think that's why Disney saw potential in them because of the massive, massive franchisable nature that you have. Disney like that. They like having as many characters in movies as possible. What has happened is that Disney saw potential and went, we can do this and we can make it quite formulaic. We can get a lot of films out in a short period of time. And people really like that because they want to keep up with these characters. I think what's always been really interesting 
to me is, especially as someone, like I said, I've been more interested in, in fantasy. And as I've grown up, that's adjusted into now I'm, I'm very into urban fantasy. But there's very, it's a very thin line between superhero movies and urban fantasy. Oh, yeah. And, but what I found really interesting is that I don't think urban fantasy has ever really taken off. In, and, and not nearly in quite the same way yeah. as as superheroes are. So is there... Do you, why do you think that is? So after this little history lesson I've given, I'm really sorry. It felt like I was just like, and here's the history of the MCU. Uh, why no, but it, it provides good background into yeah. all of this stuff happened, but I think now it might be interesting to think about why it happened. I think a lot of it happened because, A, there was... Uh, a recognizable uh, motif to these characters, right? Even if they weren't household names, people under people who are outside of nerddom can connect to the idea of a superhero because you had shows like uh, Superman and Lo- Lois and Clark, whatever it's called, or like uh, the DC cartoons and things on, right? So people had or the adam west batman while it was dc comics that were doing that people had an understanding of superheroes as a concept like it's a very easy concept for people to grasp and even things like spider-man and the hulk had weirdly a cultural significance that people already understood and so i think basically it wasn't that it was necessarily introducing new characters though some of them were new it was that they were bringing a concept that had previously existed into a new light and people mm. were able to go, oh, I really enjoyed comics as a kid. And that's why I mean that nostalgia value of it feeling a bit like an 80s action movie. And it kind of having a bit like, oh, it's funny and quippy. And I get it because superheroes, that's what they are. But also Iron Man, as the first superhero you really introduce like this, he doesn't have superpowers. He's a man in a big metal suit. Yeah. And in the early 2000s, particularly or mid 2000s, when you're getting like big jumps in technology in those kinds of areas and you're seeing all that stuff happening... That's really relatable to be like, oh, wow, yeah, no, that could be real. So it's got that tinge of reality. It's not asking you to completely suspend disbelief straight away. It has the fun element to it and it's not a brand new concept. And I think urban fantasy, while technically it's not a new concept, I think for a lot of people it's harder to grasp because what you're looking at is something that could be the Sherlock TV show or Luther or something like that but with a magical element to it. Yeah. And I think for uh, for the layman who's maybe not into fantasy, that's a difficult... Fantasy in their heads is that medieval knights in armour kind of thing. And so when you put it into a scenario that is modern-day London or New York or something, I'm particularly thinking about the Rivers of London series, which yeah. is excellent and everyone should read. Um, like, those ones, I think they people struggle with if you're not adept as somebody who's interested in fantasy in the first place because i think a lot of people would pick those books up thinking oh this is going to be a detective series and then suddenly there's a supernatural element to it yeah or there's a magical element to it exactly and you're like oh okay and so either you're going to get really into that or you're going to kind of be like oh that's not quite what i was here for and move on and so i think maybe that's not that say urban fantasy does have a really big fan base and i think it's a niche fan base um, but I think that's why it hasn't really taken off in movies and like TV yet. I think it will. I actually think that probably the Philip Pullman His Dark Materials series has done a hell of a lot for getting urban fantasy more interest on TV because that did very, very well. 
I think it will probably be the next one because people now have got their heads wrapped around the superhero thing and it's easy to and other types of superhero as well it's not just your Batman's your Superman's your Iron Man Captain America obvious superheroes you have other characters now in those franchises who are more like your Doctor Strange's urban fantasy I was just about to say Doctor Strange is basically an urban fantasy story but But like you have to introduce the obvious superheroes the obvious ones that fit that superhero role to then build up to the slightly less obvious ones and I do think that now things like Doctor Strange and his dark materials and I'm trying to think of another one that fits into this ilk that I've seen recently um Carnival Row has been doing pretty well oh yeah I saw the first two episodes of that (laughs) Yeah, like things like that, I think are more likely to now be pushing the urban fantasy thing. I do think it's the next big one to take off in film and cinema because there is a fatigue in superheroes. Mm. That if I was a film studio looking to cash in on people being tired of superhero films but not wanting to be too brave on trying something different, I would be looking at urban fantasy. this is kind of linked to that capitalism thing is because actually while being a there is a nerd element to it and all that kind of stuff the way you get things like superhero movies made is once you've proved that there is a market for them that is advertisable and you can you know kids love superheroes but so do adults <laughs> you know yeah. it's not just one market or another you can have both isn't that exciting whereas i think urban fantasy is much more of an adult genre for the most part you're less likely to have young children which superheroes attract both interested in say urban fantasy or even straight fantasy really like Mm. i was amazed that the dark crystal tv show didn't do better um and i'm assuming it's just because it despite the fact that it did really well with critics and did have a large-ish audience it wasn't hitting multiple target demographics it was only hitting one probably because it's quite a niche type of fantasy even though it's really good (laughs) you know (laughs) And I think that is part of the issue, and that's why we're seeing Netflix cancelling things. It's why we're seeing Disney kind of saying announcing twenty movies down the line and all this sort of stuff because you can get the hype out of something, but you want to hit, you want to make sure people are going to be like, oh, my kids will really like that, but I'll also go and see it again with my mates, or I'll, you know, I might take my kids to see it in the cinema, but we'll get Disney Plus so they can watch it at home. That's, you know, the thing, right? It's it's a continuous thing of how do we squeeze more money out of the very dead dead donkey, really. You know? I think, yes, yes, definitely. There's definitely a, a money element. I don't want to, like, reject that. But I think there's a really interesting element of kind of transmedia storytelling, which is... Um, I, I can't remember if Henry Jenkins was the one that primarily talked about this or not, but basically the idea... Probably. He talked about a lot of things. He talks about everything, <laughs> and I'll probably mention him many times, but um, the idea is that you get... A story isn't just in one format, that it's in, in many formats, so to be, yeah. you know, super into, I don't know, Iron Man... You don't just watch the movies, you also watch the Avengers, and you also read the comics, and you also watch the TV shows. And I I think I think at the beginning it felt like it was removing the trans because I as much as there were it was only comic books, it was many different mm-hmm. different avenues yeah. of the comic books. But I think now instead of it being comic books and everything, it's the multiple movies and the TV shows that all kind yeah. of weave into the full the full story yeah and also you have the option of if you want more from these characters but in another universe 
you have the comic books which are still telling their own stories and doing their own things and none yeah. of that can be disregarded it still exists and you can go and pick it up and it means what you do is you essentially you get more you, there mm. is no the, the pie is infinite really when it comes to these things because then you've got video games that are linked but not the same storyline so it's not adding to one storyline it's creating multiple ones with these same characters and i think that's really interesting like it is transmedium like it's multi literal multiverses where all of them and marvel is very clever because marvel comics already had a multiverse in place Mm. so which included things like their cartoons and other franchise uh, mediums even so when the movies came along they were just able to be like oh yeah no none of this takes away from any canon ever it's just this universe is not this universe they're still happening at the same time. It's the same characters, different trials, a leg of time, essentially, if we're going yeah. to use a Terry Pratchett reference, because of course we are. Um, so I think that's what really works. And I think that is that transmedia thing, right? It's like, you can go and get more of the infinite pie because there's more stories to tell with these same little little dolls. We're going to move the dolls over here and do this with them now, you know? <laughs> so there is not, you know, none of them is, and I quite like that particularly as somebody who, who has no issue. I don't care about canon particularly. It's not something I'm particularly fussed by. It used to be more, but less so now. And it means that if I want to pick up a, like, Invincible Iron Man or something, I've got it on my shelf, I can read it and it doesn't affect what's happening in the MCU. Or I can watch, like, a new Iron Man spoilers for people who don't know in the mcu iron man is dead right he's not dead in the comics he's fine you know so just stuff like that like that's a complete narrative difference and yet they they still work perfectly well together you don't one doesn't cancel out the other and it doesn't make for people having an argument on twitter you know (laughs) because everyone's accepted that they're different universes for the same characters i mean they'll always have arguments on twitter oh absolutely they'll have arguments about other things but it's hard to have an argument about that you know (laughs) Um, it's really fascinating I think that I think it is why they're so successful you know there is definitely the like I said the money the Disney machine has been thrown behind this franchise and once Disney puts once decides something's going to get big Disney will do everything they can to make that happen well uh, uh, yes so I (laughs) so there's a whole thing as somebody who kind of spends a lot of time talking about how meaningful and important pop culture is I definitely have people that are like oh but capitalism (laughs) Yeah. I think I'm playing devil's advocate a bit here with this. Yeah, and I think it's valid. Like, obviously, something that doesn't have a big budget for marketing or something like that is less likely to capture the attention of people than something that has all the marketing in the world of the Disney Corporation behind it. However, that doesn't always necessarily equate to it being actually picked up by audiences. I mean, there are so many examples that we can think of of big, high-budget movies that just completely flopped. I mean, if you think about, like, I mean, I know the Fast and Furious films have a fan base, but they have clearly been desperately trying to create a sort of fandom fan base through, like, meme culture and all this sort of stuff, and it's just not working. People go and see those movies because they're silly and dumb, but they're not going to write fanfic about it. They're not going to create an ongoing cult fandom of Fast and Furious. Maybe I'm wrong, maybe there is one. But you can kind of see, like, the last movie came out and there was just suddenly the, like, all of my social media was flooded with memes. And I was like, who's making Fast and the Furious memes? And it turned out it was the company, that the, that was the marketing scheme, right? And I was like, you know what? That it's is a smart clever. marketing yeah, scheme. Yeah, it's, but it works. It, it needs to kind of be hitting something first, though. And, mm-hmm. and 
there's a really fascinating article. I'll probably link it in the show notes. Um, hope if you have trouble getting a hold of it, just let me know. I can send it to you because I've got copies of it. But um, there's an article by Joseph Laycock that talks about the history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Yeah. Where basically, I know this is going into a He-Man avenue, but it's somewhat related. Because in the 80s and stuff, for people who are incredibly young, um, TV shows that were associated with toys were actually made to sell the toys, not vice versa. <laughs> yeah. Like, as somebody who likes Transformers quite a lot, uh, I fully... Ex- I, the Transformers original series was entirely to sell these weird little toys. Yeah. So <laughs> basically, know? Mattel, who, by the way, was a juggernaut in the toy industry, it was the Disney of toys, essentially, mm-hmm. at the time, had this surfer dude figure, and they kept trying to sell it. They were throwing all the money behind it, and it wasn't moving. Yeah. So they hired some people to craft a story around this guy. They completely changed it. He wasn't a surfer man anymore. They made him He-Man. And they wrote <gasps> the Masters of the Universe. Yeah. They crafted it after a lot of mythology and understandings of how those stories are structured. And they put it out there. And suddenly people were buying the toy and watching the show. And it had nothing to do with the fact that suddenly there was more money behind it. It had to do with the fact that the story was now more interesting and viable and something that people, that children actually wanted to eat up. Because I think that's important. It's not just adults that have the critical thought of whether or not a story is meaningful to them. Mm -hmm. Like, kids can do that too. And this is the thing I was saying about the fact that I think the MCU is, it needs to now spread its wings and do some other stuff because we've hit a a point where these these stories are quite formulaic, you know? You see the big battle coming and all that kind of stuff. And kids aren't dumb. So, you you know, if they're kind of going to be a bit like, I'm a bit bored of this you need to change it up quicker because yeah. you can't just have six movies where you have the same formulaic, formulaic oh my goodness, I can't talk, thing happening in in each one. And that's why I actually think that, like I said, the one I mentioned at the beginning was a really, uh, Werewolf by Night, was a really good example of that because they did something very, very different that was still suitable for all ages audience. They made sure it was, even though it was referencing horror movies. And... You know, I wouldn't show it to a tiny child, but it was definitely PG, you know, and that I think was really good. And doing things like like WandaVision, which hit so many different notes and so many different ideas of what superheroes could be. Mm. And yes, that was predominantly for an adult audience, but that wasn't entirely. And so I think that's the future of it. Like you said, working out what people will connect with. They're not going to connect with Iron Man 1 now. And obviously where the money is helpful is that they can buy and pay for the salary of multiple writers in mm -hmm. order to make sure that they get something that works. They can shove all the marketing in our face to make sure that we at least watch the first episode to give it a try, which some people might not have that available to them. Mm -hmm. But I think it's always really important to kind of always reiterate that we don't, we're not passive consumers. We, we, I mean, that's the whole point of fandom, right? That fandom are, are people that actively eat everything because they want to not because it's put in front of them yeah and i think it's a a good example if we're looking at disney particularly to be like one of the most popular shows out there at the moment is owl house which has been cancelled by disney because it's not in their mind marketable which is ridiculous because it clearly is um there are other issues there that i am not going into in this episode but they didn't market owl house like they do the marvel stuff or the star wars stuff and yet it is still incredibly popular I, when you go to conventions, you are going to see hundreds of Owl House cosplayers. They're just there, 
you know, because it's so popular with, with wide ranges of demographics. And then Disney didn't put any effort into marketing it, not really. Not as like they do with other ones. They just thought, oh, it's a cartoon, it'll do what it'll do, and then we'll get rid of it. Mm. And it shows that actually people connected to it on a really deep level. And even without any of that, it's still done very, very well. And yeah. it's a real shame that actually, you know, they, they aren't going... They're being able to finish the story, but not in the way they wanted to, because Disney don't trust the show for some reason. Um, I, like I said, there are opinions about I was about, about to say, I think there's the specific show. reasons for that. There is but... very specific reasons. <laughs> um, allegedly, we're going to put that in here. Yes. Allegedly, Owl House is being cancelled because it has very overt LGBT content and it's not marketable in certain areas allegedly. of the world. Please don't Allegedly. Disney but then you have other things like Our Flag Means Death which again is an LGBT show which wasn't marketed at all by HBO Max there was nothing I did nobody knew anything about it because HBO Max did not put any effort into marketing it at all and suddenly it's the biggest hit on the internet I was about to say I heard it. about it through memes and Twitter and yeah it the... was all word of mouth <laughs> The fan yeah. base is going nuts. And considering it's got Taika Waititi in it, one of the biggest names in Hollywood at the moment, the fact that it wasn't marketed is ridiculous. You know, he is a big name. He's Mr. You know, Time Man of the Year or whatever. You know, and HBO Max didn't market it. And I think we know why. I think people aren't <laughs> stupid. Um, allegedly. Alleg- allegedly. Well, allegedly the thing, not that allegedly people aren't stupid. <laughs> uh, um, but again, it's that thing, like, people, fandoms, we're not passive, right? People find things and latch onto them because it has meaning to them. And that's what's interesting about things like the MCU, because obviously it does have a lot of meaning to a lot of people. But even some of those people who would have been hardcore fans for a long time, people like me, I had, I loved it. I'm getting burnt out by it because there's so much content, because there's mm. that push for the kind of I don't want to say money grab that's not fair but there really is this thing of like and there's more of it have more and I'm like I can't eat all this pie I can't eat it all one of the things that I always find really interesting is when there are copies of something that doesn't suddenly work I always try to like really look at it and try to figure out like why what's the difference here Mm -hmm. and it's always something that you can't really point at and go that it's always some kind of soul of a project (laughs) that you can't really feel um i remember this is slightly off track from marvel but i'll bring it back i promise (laughs) um but i went to an academic conference once on pop culture stuff and there was somebody who was giving a presentation on uh like food porn things okay (laughs) and um but basically they were kind of shitting on people like um, Nigella Lawson and stuff like that for being very hypersexual and kind of chalked it up as like that's why Nigella Lawson does well is because she's an attractive woman who presents in a very sexy way and it was one of those things where I went yes to an extent yeah well exactly it's like all of these things it's yes to an extent right? because there are yeah. so many people that you can turn on any kind of food channel or whatever and there are so many people trying to be nigella lawson and they are not nigella lawson yeah. and it's because there is something else to it that people grab onto besides mm. just her boobs well exactly so like the mcu <laughs> is doing incredibly well yes the dc movies this is yeah, this is what exactly, I was getting right? to is that there's yeah. there's so much 
superhero content because I think there's a certain amount of people going, those are doing well, they're superheroes, superheroes are doing well, let's do it. And there's, it's missing, it's missing that thing. Yeah. And I don't know what the thing is with the MCU. I don't know whether it is because Disney are able to just be like, bring in the best names, all this sort of stuff. Or whether they have, there is just something about the fact that, like I said, they really leaned into what comics are. Yeah. And took the soul of what comics are. And that does, I'm going to be fair, there's burnout in comics. Every time there's a crossover event, my brain's like, I don't, I don't care. I don't, I don't care. Right. (laughs) And that's, I'm not the only one. And so I think that happens kind of with the movies as well. It's like every time it's like, oh, so-and-so character has shown up. You're like, oh, I don't, I don't care. Um, I came for these characters. I'm not that bothered about this one. Um, but everybody has their thing. I have a friend who, honestly, he... <laughs> so, like, eh about superhero movies. And yet he will go and watch every single Guardians of the Galaxy film without fault. He loves them. He's obsessed. Guardians of the Galaxy, best thing ever, right? Uh, but he doesn't care about Captain America. Like, in the same way that I will probably watch any film that's kind of... I love the Black Panther films. I absolutely adore Captain Marvel. I'll watch those ones, but I'm not going to go and watch Captain America. I'm just not, you know? It's fair. <laughs> uh, I'm just like, eh. Um, so I haven't sought out very many of them, like, on, on my own. Um, mm. I did seek out Wonder Woman because I wanted to support... I heard it was good. Um, first of all, and then I also mm. wanted to support a good film with a leading woman being strong. I think there yeah. had issues from a feminist standpoint, but that's a different conversation for another time. Can't um, be perfect all the time. Doesn't work. But I, I was glad I watched it on a plane, so it might have not been the best <laughs> setting for it, but it, it was very good and I was very happy with it. I did watch Black Panther for similar reasons, but for black rather than women, although there are some very kick-ass badass women in in that one as well yeah the second film is just like women of color do amazing things for two hours it's on our list because we again it's similar idea we want to make sure that our views are getting counted towards something yeah and also namor i i'm gonna out myself now namor is one of my favorite characters in the comics he always has been he is so he is not even an anti-hero he is whatever he wants to be at any given moment and he will fuck shit up and i love him because he's a bastard and I'm sorry because there's a lot of swearing now um I love him so much and they did him so well in the movie they he absolute justice to this character I was so happy even with the changes they made I I actually thought the changes improved the character so Mm. happy 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 when your favorite one of your faves is done well you know yeah like oh I was so pleased with this but yeah Uh, I think you know like the Avengers has never really I don't know. It never really captured me. I have very problematic things associated with Captain America because I'm from America. Um, So, you know, that I'm obviously, I'm never going to go see a Captain America film just on principle. Um, So there's, there's a lot of, um, you know, like you said, there's a lot of picking and choosing within things, but I think that sometimes you find very similar people picking and choosing very similar aspects. And it's because of, of that thing we're talking about of, of people, finding that thing that means something to them like kick-ass women yeah or (laughs) Or, like i i really liked uh shang chi it was incredible but it was because it was so different and it it was it's directed written by uh people from chinese cinema so it came you know they brought all of the the joy of chinese martial arts films to this and kept it feeling like an mcu film 
it's so well done it's so beautiful it's so unusual for the mcu which is again the same with black panther that thing of bringing in people from that community to write this film to make sure it feels authentic to make sure it celebrates and represents the people it's meant to celebrate and represent rather than being tokenistic those are the ones that stand out to me right it's why weirdly thor ragnarok stands out because it's so joyous as something where uh, somebody from a community that who wasn't like necessarily the hollywood elite went i'm gonna make something dumb and it's gonna be really funny and it is and it works mm. uh so it's like those are the ones that really stand out and i will go back to over and over again because they took this formula which is a formula to a greater extent put their own mark on it and turned it into something brilliant because the formula isn't bad i feel like i'm saying the formula is bad it's not the formula works all storytelling in a in a sense is a formula mm. um and so it's not necessarily that being a fo- formula or following a formula is necessarily a bad thing because yeah. that's just writing um but, but it's, it's, it's like it's the nigella thing right so you yeah. have the nigella formula and then you put the soul of the person who is making black panther or making yeah. Shang-Chi or making thor ragnarok into it and suddenly that formula is elevated above <laughs> should, should i trademark the term the nigella formula i absolutely think you should i think it's going in with the swimming pool one Okay, Swing pool, cool. Nigella, done. <laughs> you know, I'll throw it in a book as soon as I can. <laughs> I'll put it in mine first, and I'll steal it from you. No. <laughs> but like, honestly, I think that's it. I think that's the thing. Is there's, like you said, everybody could try and make a superhero movie, but clearly, the Superman and Batman films aren't, or Aquaman or the the Justice League, they're not working in the same way. Mm-hmm for whatever reason that is and like the mcu have got it nailed and i can be like eh capitalism as much as i want about disney but they still work and people still want to watch yeah, them and, like, people the love them is, those those superman films had a lot of fucking money behind sorry yeah had a lot of money behind them. it's okay we have an intro now that warns people yes <laughs> Well, they had a they had a lot of money behind them. So capitalism isn't always just like it's not always you have money you will succeed endeavor. There's always yeah. got to be with art. There's always something else. Yeah, that has to be there. Yeah, and I actually think you see it in that first Iron Man movie. I think John Favreau sitting down and going, "I'm going to make a comic book movie, and it's going to feel like a comic book. I'm not going to." make quippy comments about like oh what were you expecting yellow spandex from wolverine when they're wearing black leather you know like it's not gonna do- we're gonna lean into it and we're gonna accept that that's what this genre is it is silly and it is campy and it is all about like having a fight sequence where you make a, a funny comment about how the villains not do it like being like a bit rubbish or something you know i think the spider-man movies are all of them, Toby Maguire, Andrew Garfield and uh, Tom Holland, all of them have that same soul to them of what superhero comic books are. And Spider-Man is like, Into the Spider-Verse is the perfect example oh, of it That as one well. was good. I did see it's that It's amazing. One. Like, Into the Spider-Verse is literally just like the best superhero film ever, hands down, because A, it accepts it's a superhero film. It doesn't get meta about it. And when it does do the meta, it's within the context of the, not only the movie but comics as a genre and a medium in a way that is joyful about them and loves them and it's not mean and i think that's the difference is that like blade and x-men and even the early toby Maguire movies 
there's a certain like oh comics yeah they're a bit silly and childish but we're not silly and childish we're grown up and it comes back to that thing we were talking actually in another episode (laughs) hopefully they go out in an order that makes sense about the validity of fandom where it's like those ones are trying to make themselves more valid by being more grown up when actually what makes comic books and comic movies great is that they're not they're just fun and you can talk about serious subjects within them like wandavision talks about grief and mental health issues while fully embracing the fact that this is a silly silly medium you know (laughs) like it's a silly genre and you can do both and i think that when the ones that have the soul work it's because they're doing that thor ragnarok is ridiculous but it still talks about understanding becoming an adult and moving past your childhood and losing parents and and become all those sorts of things. It's still talking about that while having Thor fight Hulk in a arena where everyone's throwing paint at them. You know, like those those things can happen in the same thing. And the same is true of Black Panther. The same is true of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy particularly really embraces it. And I like that, you know, and I think that's why I think like actually the Birds of Prey movie, it's one of the few DC movies I think's really landed because again, it kind of just embraces the fact this is ridiculous. It has to be ridiculous. You can't make this serious. If you do, you're losing the joy. And the ones that fail are the ones that don't have that soul. They don't have that wonder. Be a kid about it, you know? Yeah. What's fun about superheroes is you're a child and they're bigger and better than life. The same as like, uh, you know, what like Beowulf or King Arthur or any of those things they're exciting because they're bigger and better than life and you never meet people like that and they always save the day they've got protagonist plot armor they're never gonna fall until the moment they have to in the narrative and and, you know that's what's cool about them oh I made myself like superhero movies again damn it (laughs) that's another one that's quite I mean, we could probably have a whole... Ep- we'll do it a whole episode. We're quite late in the episode to start yeah. digging into Star Wars, but... No, no, we don't, can't, and I'll go down a rabbit hole. But it, oh, again, well. also because Disney. But, um, yeah. you know, that's another thing that has suddenly exploded again with all of these new things, and some of them being a lot more successful than others. And and that... What it is, What what is it that makes the Mandalorian better than that Boba Fett one, even though they were basically the same... <laughs> Like, yeah, and I, I mean, to, I think a lot of the problem with Star Wars, and I won't go into this too much, is that a lot of the fans, unlike Marvel, have expectations for these characters that cannot be met. They just can't. Because Boba Fett's been around since as a character with no personality, to be fair, since the 1980s. He was just a man yeah. in a helmet, right? And then they started adding lore to him and people place their own ideas onto that character. I think Boba Fett is the perfect example of never being... You're never going to be able to live up, no matter what you do, to what he people want him to be. The Mandalorian is good because he's a new character and nobody cares. Like, he has no expectation on him to be anything other than the Mandalorian, Right? I, I think one of the things that makes Marvel and superheroes and, and the comic book stuff a little bit more, I think, able to live in the space in something like Star Wars, or even when we were talking about urban fantasy, if someone wanted mm. to take the Rivers of London series and do a whole long TV show about it, um, one of the problems that they might have is that notion of canon. Yeah, um, Star exactly. Wars has a very minimal 
I mean, they, they've restricted their canon on purpose. They have. They removed the legend stuff. All of, like, what was the expanded universe is now being completely Yeah, they basically the said, canon. oh, that's not canon anymore. But if yeah. they had left it open, then that would have left those avenues of, oh, that some guy in the 90s wrote a book that was kind of weird, but let's do it. Yeah. Like... And, like, I mean, some of that is being taken. Like, so, like the whole... Th- this is getting too much into it. But the Thrawn, trilo- the Thrawn books are coming into the main star wars canon which is cool because thrawn's cool and i like him and that does mean that you're suddenly opened up to a lot of very weird stuff if he exists in star wars which is hilarious i think a lot of people don't realize you're like oh yeah thrawn's here which means yeah hmm okay right sure uh, <laughs> which is kind of entertaining but yeah they by restricting it and but what they did was essentially try to cordon it off in the same way that marvel comics is cordoned off that like you have well, the marvel comics universe and but it doesn't work because yeah, but it, doesn't it was work never that there was always with marvel there has always been a really detailed lengthy huge canon of of Multiverse crazinesses and, yeah, of, yeah, yeah, exactly. of nobody paying attention to what the other comic book artist is doing and no one caring yeah. that they have two different interpretations yeah. of it and i i think i think that's probably something that's going to be difficult for really anything else that doesn't yeah. have that setup, you kind of have to go with some kind of online storytelling kind of thing to do yeah. something else that already has this kind of multifaceted interpretation. I think it, and I think it works for them in a way that it will never work for anybody else. I, I think Marvel is almost the perfect example of how you take all of these stories, all of these facets, all of these things that spread across almost a century worth of work which in and of itself is mind-boggling to think how many stories there are within that length of time and then transcend it across not just comics and movies and tv but video games and prose books and like you have board games you have tabletop role-playing games as many different mediums as you can think of for storytelling marvel stretches across and somehow it all works yeah nobody else is doing that nobody you know and like I said, I, I've clearly convinced myself that <laughs> these are good things and I like them again um, by talking about it, which I wasn't expecting, but there we go. Um, but it does remind me of why I found joy in them in the first place, you know, because there was so much to sink your teeth into and you could pick and choose which bits you liked and actually it didn't matter if you didn't like some of it. You didn't need to interact with it. You could just be like, ah, that bit. Okay, cool. I'm going to read my 100th issue of Loki doing some nonsense. I like Loki doing some nonsense. It's yeah. fun. So if you, dear listener, are also having superhero burnout, just remember, you can pick and choose. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Find your bit. You don't, it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter. I think we should end it there because otherwise we're going to go on Star Wars and that's going to be bad. That's fair. <laughs> but we will talk about Star Wars. I think maybe that's my next time I do a bit of a weird lore video. Uh, episode i was about to say video it's not video um ollie talks lore about comic books oh no (laughs) (laughs) this has actually been really fun i have really enjoyed it Uh, well i'm glad it made you feel better about comic books again it did yeah i hope it's made some of the people listening feel better about comic books and able to kind of take a little bit of a look and a step back from these things so you don't feel so burnt out because it's hard when something you love becomes everywhere <laughs> yeah or and, and just like you feel like you have to keep up with it in a way that like oh no i didn't see that thing and i'm not oh no you know it it, it is overwhelming uh, so it's quite nice that actually you don't need to do that so much anymore you can just pick and choose which is great 
and also the cinema is expensive so thank you disney plus for making that a little bit easier (laughs) thank you very much for listening if you liked this episode there will be more Uh, we will see you next time (gasps) Bye -bye. bye thank you for listening remember to like review and subscribe wherever you are listening to this podcast and do give it a share tell your friends family fellow fans get the word out however you feel like you can you can follow us on social media links are in the show notes as well as some links to further reading for anyone who might be interested music for this episode was nowhere land by kevin mcleod licensed under creative commons by attribution 3.0 this episode was produced by vivian asimos and holly swingard